actually, the last several weeks, we've been doing a series in our church called Taboo, and uh, we've been looking at taboo topics that you typically don't talk about in a church because of either they're uncomfortable or they're controversial or they're just, there's just too much potential for um, someone to be offended by bringing this topic up. So typically, we just stay silent on these topics. This morning, we're going to be wrapping up uh, our series on, on this. And uh, I want to go a little bit of a different direction than we've been go- going over the last several weeks. Um, and to kind of set it up, so this last couple of weeks, my family and I, we kind of pulled back a little bit, we're on a little bit of a vacation. And as part of that, we were up at Baker Lake. I don't know if you've ever been to Baker Lake, but it's a gorgeous spot to get away if you ever want to get away. It's kind of on the east side of Mount Baker. There's just a big, massive lake. And it's one of our favorite spots to go camping. Are there any other campers in the room this morning that just love to camp? Okay, right on. Does anybody here think that campers are crazy? Raise your hand. Okay, it's a couple of you. Awesome. All right. That's totally cool. But we decided to go camping, and it started off being a, a, a great, like the weather was awesome. It was hot and sunny. When we go back there, we do a ton of swimming. We're like, our, our favorite spot is right on the lake. We were in this spot again, and it's just, we swim, 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 swim. But the weather turned kind of sour, and so you couldn't really swim. It was cold. It was overcast. And it was like that for a couple days. And so rather than sit around the campfire all day and, and just breathe and smoke, we decided to hop in the truck and head off on an adventure. And I thought, let's track down these hot springs that I heard about were up at Mount Baker. And so I'd never been there before. We found a park ranger uh, lady who, who knew where the, the springs were. We asked her, and she said, actually, she, she, at first she just noticed me and Becky in the truck because the back window was down. It's tinted. And uh, we asked if she knew where the hot springs was, and she looked at us with this big mischievous grin, and she goes, well, yes, I do, actually. And then Ethan rolled down the back window, and uh, she saw the kids, and she quickly actually issued a warning. She's like, just so you know, it's clothing optional. And so a smarter parent at that point goes, okay, we're just going to go on a hike instead. But we'd had a couple of really kind of cold nights, and so we, were, we had that chill in your bones that you campers know about. And so I had hot springs on my mind, and nothing was going to change hot springs. We are going to the hot springs no matter what. And so we find the trailhead. We get back there, and I thought, okay, I better go back in there. I, I took a couple of the older kids, and we saw we were getting close to the hot springs, and so I left them back in the woods. And I'm like, I'm just going to go and make sure the coast is clear. There was a couple vehicles at the trailhead, so we knew there were some people back there. Sure enough, the coast was not clear. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh-oh. And uh, there was an older gentleman, a younger guy. They were just kind of hanging out back there, enjoying being one with Mother Nature. And so I showed up, and it's kind of in the middle of the woods. And you just can't show up and then leave. You kind of got to have a conversation. And so we had an uncomfortable conversation about volcanoes and about the temperature of the water. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, you guys going to be here for a while because I, I got my family, want to bring them back in here. And like, yeah, we're going to be up pretty soon, maybe half an hour. So I thought, okay, I'll just go back wait till they come back out. Well, I, I go back. On the way back, uh, we meet another family coming back in. Dad, mom, and uh, son and daughter, about 10 and 8 years old. And I'm like, hey, just so you guys know, there's a couple guys back there. They, they are in their birthday suits. And so um, they're like, okay, thanks. And they didn't even break a stride. They just kept going back. <laughs> I'm like, that's a little weird. That's a little weird. But we went back out to the, the truck and we waited, and sure enough, one of the guys comes out, and then I thought, okay, they must have been, like, the other guy probably put his shorts on because 
my family's back in there now. And so I thought, let's be, it'll be, it's probably safe. We'll go back in there. And uh, so we walked back down the trail with the whole family. And I said, okay, guys, wait here. I got to go inspect and make sure the coast is clear. Sure enough, it was partially clear, but not entirely clear. The whole family was in there with their bathing suits on, but the one older guy was still in his birthday suit. Yes, I could not believe it. And so, but he was a really nice old guy, and he saw me back, he saw me back there, and he's like, okay, well, uh, he very graciously got out and, and put his shorts on, got back in the, the springs, and we could all come down, and uh, we hop in the water. It turned out to be great. It was hot. It was, I mean, the setting, if you've ever been back there before, it was, I mean, it's just nestled in the trees. There's a little waterfall. It's everything, if you're in the hot springs, it's kind of everything you'd want a hot springs to be, right? Well, we're sitting there having great conversation and uh, kind of making chit-chat. And all of a sudden, the, the, the middle-aged dad gets out and sits on the side of the hot springs. I noticed that something wasn't quite right. He was in his underwear. And uh, I looked around and noticed that actually his whole family was in their underwear. That's an uncomfortable moment when you're in a hot springs in the middle of nowhere and you realize that your family is with another family and all of them are in their underwear. It gets even more awkward when the guy asks me what I do for a living. <laughs> and, uh, and so all of a sudden, there's a bit of an elephant in the room because I'm a pastor, and uh, you're here with your family in your underwear, and you like to go in hot springs with older guys in their birthday suit. And so, but we didn't talk about it. It would have been even more awkward, and so we just kind of pretended that this big elephant wasn't in the room. We just pretended it didn't, didn't exist. We just kind of sat there. And uh, the, the family actually left pretty quick. Usually, <laughs> usually when I tell people that I'm a pastor, it's a conversation killer like that. But when uh, I tell them that in their, they're all in their underwear, it's, it's even more of a conversation killer. So they just kind of made off, and uh, we ended up hanging out with the, the old guy in his swimming suit, which was still kind of awkward. But one thing I've noticed is that when there's elephants in the room, when there's uncomfortable topics, is that there's kind of this, this tension that's kind of there, and, and it, we noticed it as we're sitting there in the hot springs, and all of a sudden there's this elephant there in the room. And, and the, the conversation is a little bit just, it's uncomfortable, even though you're not talking about it, it's just, it's just kind of, there's this tension. And uh, relationships, whenever there's an elephant in the room, whether it's hot springs or anywhere else, they can only go so, so deep. They, can, they tend to be just kind of shallow. And over the last um, several weeks, as we've been talking about all these different elephants, these different taboo topics, um, uh, we, we've been going to places that you normally don't talk about, issues that culture actually is talking about quite a bit, but that we don't tend to talk about because of, of just how uncomfortable they are. And, and the church typically doesn't, in, in large group settings like this, talk about them, but, but even I find in smaller settings, we don't typically talk about uncomfortable taboo topics because they're, they're just uncomfortable, whether that's a, a smaller setting like you're with your, your church friends or you're in a small group. We typically stay away from those. And uh, this, this, appro this approach to taboo difficult topics, is, it's not healthy. But there's another approach, and that's the approach that we've kind of been taking this last summer where you just kind of dive in. And I've noticed something this summer. As we've been addressing all these topics, these difficult subjects, when you address the struggles that we, we have, but we tend to kind of keep hidden, it's difficult, yes, but at the same time, it's refreshing, but even more importantly, it's unifying. It brings us closer together. 
And I've had a, pro- probably more response from this last series that we've gone through than, than any response that I've, I've got from any series that we've ever done. And some of the responses that I've got are things like people have come up and said, you struggle with doubt too? Or you struggle with, with the, the pressure, you've struggled with addiction? Me too. And it's this togetherness that comes. Or a couple weeks back, we had um, Clark and to- Tony, a couple guys from our church, they got up here and they shared a little bit about um, just the reality of racism that exists right here, even in our county. And, and, and the response has been, I, mean, I can't believe that, that it actually happens like that right here in our own backyard. And there's just this togetherness that comes, this unity that comes, this, this, this sense of, okay, I've, I've got your back. And it's been really cool to see. And this morning, as we conclude our, our series, I want to wrap it up by talking about where we go from here. How do we build on this transparency, this openness that we've created over the last several weeks? When people avoid the topics that need to be discussed, when they, they just kind of hide their experiences, they hide their struggles, rather than be vulnerable, rather than share them, rather than be open with them, there's a price that's paid when we, we go that direction. And, and here's the price. Rather than enjoy a deep sense of unity and a deep sense of togetherness, we settle for nothing more than shallow acquaintances. We shallow, sh- settle for just kind of being surface level. And, and, w- and this is the same right across the board, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your friendships, whether it's your family, um, or as we're going to talk about a lot this morning, whether it's the church, the price take for staying safe and for staying shallow and just on the surface, it's always the same. And, and I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that the church is supposed to be this group of loosely connected, shallow acquaintances. It's just not anywhere in the Bible. In fact, when you read through the New Testament and you read through uh, uh, stories of the early church and you read through how, how it talks about the church, you find just the opposite. Um, in, in, in describing the early church, the Bible says all the believers were one in heart and mind. One. In another place, a verse that's popped up actually quite a bit in the series, it says this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all, and here's this word again, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Or how about in the book of Philippians, the, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's talking to the church, and, and he writes this. He says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and here's the word again, being one in spirit and of one mind. The church that Jesus envisioned is a church that shares a deep sense of unity. And it's a unity that's got a foundation. And the foundation of that unity is that we all share the same Lord. We all share the same Savior. We all share the same mission. Jesus gives us all the same mission, go into the world, and make, make disciples. That's the foundation of, of this unity that Jesus envisioned for the church. But it's built upon as we've got authentic relationships, as there's a willingness to be real about our struggles, to discuss un- uncomfortable topics, and, and to work through differences with grace and truth. Unity, this oneness, is so important to Jesus that the longest recorded prayer that we have of his in, in Scripture a prayer that he prayed just before he, he left the earth and went back to, into heaven, it's almost entirely to do with unity. Jesus prayed this to his Father in heaven. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, 
Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Interesting. He, he doesn't pray that they'd be protected from terrorists or protected from corrupt worldly systems. He prays that they'd be, be protected in such a way that they have unity. He prays that they'd be protected from division and strife and all that stuff. We're going to come back to this in just a sec. And then he goes on to pray, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the fullness or the full measure of my joy within them. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now he's kind of broadening his prayer to include all of us who 2,000 years later would believe um, his message, believe the gospel. And he prays this. He goes on to say, I pray that, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He just keeps coming back to this over and over and over again. I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have lo loved them even as you have loved me. Unity, the sense of togetherness, is a very big deal to Jesus. And if you're a parent, you kind of get a little bit of an understanding of why this is a big deal to Jesus. As a, as a, as a parent, it brings me so much joy when my, my kids are just all working together, playing together. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. They're just sincerely enjoying and being together and loving one another. But the exact opposite is true. When they just can't get along, it's just, it's, it, it just kind of breaks your heart when there's fighting and there's arguing and they can't even do like a half hour of dishes with all the huge eruption just over who's going to wash and who's going to dry and on and on it can go. It just kind of like, as, as a parent, you know how that feels. It's the same way with our Father in Heaven. He, he longs for unity. He desires it. He prays for it. But sadly, throughout human history, human history has been a story about the disruption of this unity that Jesus prayed for. You've got the Garden of Eden. You've got God and you've got men. There's just, they're together. There's just unity. There's closeness, togetherness. But then sin comes along. What does sin do? All of a sudden, God and man are separate. And then you've got Adam and Eve. They've got, uh, their marriage is just ideal in the beginning. They, God's I ideal for marriage is that they would be one flesh, the Bible says. Adam and Eve got that, but then sin comes along. They take the bite of this fruit, and all of a sudden there's, there's mistrust, and, and, and there's blame. Adam's going, she made me take a bite of that apple. And Eve's going, whoa, 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 wait a second here. Me? You kidding me? Uh, you're on the couch, buddy. And all of a sudden there's, there's separation. That there's no more, unity's gone. Then you've got the, the greater humanity. There's, there's, it starts off, there's, there's, there's one human race. There's, they've got one language. Yeah, there's, there's different cultures, different skin colors, but there's unity, all speaking the same language. But then Genesis 11 comes along, pride comes in. They think that they can be equal to God. They think they can build this tower to heaven. And, and the end result of that is they, God comes down and scatters their languages, and all of a sudden there's no more unity. There's division. And 2,000 years later, the racial division caused on that day over pride 
is still evident right here in our own country. And this was never God's desire. God's desire has always been for unity, for unity. And so this morning, what, what I want to do in just our little bit of time we have left is I want to share some principles around unity. Um, and, and these are principles that don't just apply to church. They are, are universal principles on unity. They apply to your, your marriage. They apply to your family. They apply to that soccer team that you coach. They, they apply to a nation. If you want to have unity, this is what unity is, and this is how you get there. The first principle is this. It's a definition of unity. Unity is the state of being undivided. It's as simple as that. This is unity. It's togetherness. It's, it's one, undivided. Separate like this, this is not unity. Division, being separate, that's disunity. Unity is being undivided. Unity is not uniformity in that everybody's the same and acts the same and talks the same. That's not unity. Unity, though, is being undivided, being together as one. No hate, no discord, no mistrust as one. Next principle is this that we see in Scripture. Where there's unity, the impossible can be accomplished. Earlier, I, I just mentioned that story about how mankind decided to build this tower to heaven. Well, they had a unity. It was a unity that was towards an, an, an evil end, but it was unity nonetheless. God comes along, and he sees this, and, and the Bible says the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing. Where there's unity, the impossible can be accomplished. It doesn't matter if it's that, that Cinderella Olympic sports team that's not supposed to win the championship. This team over here that's way more skilled is supposed to win it, but, but they, this team's got unity. They're together. They believe. They, they're, they're wrapped around a common vision. This one's kind of scattered and disjointed. This team, though, they're together, and they can win the championship because they've got that, that unity there. It's, it's the church that makes a, a significant difference in their world because of their unity. Anything is possible, which is one of the reasons the enemy will do anything that he can to destroy unity, especially in the church. Lack of unity is a greater enemy of the church and its mission than just about anything else. Lack of unity is a tremendous enemy of the church. Jesus prayed, protect them so that they may, might be one. And I read that prayer, and I just think, man, if I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm praying that a little bit differently. I'm Jesus. I know that the disciples are going to face intense persecution. I know that they're going to face torture for their faith. They're going to face, I mean, some of them are going to end up being burned at the stake for their faith. They're going to be just, they're going to go out into a world where they're going to face incredible persecution. I'm thinking, I'm going to pray, protect them from that. But Jesus prays differently. He says, protect them so that they might be one. Protect them from from anything that would cause division, protect them from strife, protect them from hate, prejudice, pride, from fear. And he prays this way because he knows that they can withstand all the other stuff if they're united. They can withstand the most intense persecution if they're united. They can withstand anything the world would throw at them if they're united. And so he prays that they would be together as, as one. And if you follow Jesus' time on earth, you, you see how he, he wasn't just about, he prayed for it as he left, but when he was, 
what was on earth, he, he protected the unity over and over and over and over again. On, on one time, you have the disciples, they're, they're fighting about who's the greatest among them. Stupid argument to have when Jesus is there. But here they are, they're having this, this argument, and Jesus doesn't just be passive about it. He comes walking right up to them, and he says, hey, guys, just so you know, um, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, if, if you want to, it's, it's the servant, you've got to be the servant of all. Whoever's, whoever's last will be first, and first will be last. He protects the unity. And then you've got this, this incredible racial tension that he, he steps into where um, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. All this tension. There's potential there for, for tremendous division, but Jesus, he, he goes right in. He protects it. He, he says, this is how we're going to do it. He loves the Roman centurion. He loves the Samaritan women. He protects, he protects the unity. We would be very wise to do whatever we can to protect the unity. Dads, moms, what are you doing to protect the unity in your home? Husbands and wives, are, are you being vigilant? You know, when something comes along that tries to disrupt that unity, tries to separate you, tries to just push you apart, are, are you just kind of like okay with that? Are you going to do whatever you can to protect that? Um, as a church, there's so many things that could push us apart. So much potential for disunity. Gossip. Apathy, being me-centered rather than other-centered. Will you be a protector, a protector of the unity or a destroyer? It is worth being a protector because, and here's our next point. Scripture says this. It says unity is the place where God commands his blessing. He commands it. Where there's blessing or where there's unity, God comes in. He says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless that. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows, or as other translations say, commands, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Do you want to have abundant blessing in your marriage? Fight for unity. Do you want to have abundant blessing in your family? Fight for unity. Do you want to have abundant blessing in, in your church? Fight for unity. You've got to fight for it. And maybe you're thinking fight. Okay, that's a little bit of a strong word. It's not. You've got to fight for it. This last week, I was at a, a leadership conference, and uh, one of the guys that spoke, awesome leader, named, his name is John Maxwell, and, and he kind of started off by, he just said, I'm going to give you guys a, an illustration. Uh, here it is. He puts his hand up there like this, and he holds it there for 10 seconds, and he simply says this. He said, everything worthwhile in life is uphill everything. You want to have a strong marriage? That's an uphill fight. You, you want to you be healthy? That's an uphill battle. You want to have, a, you wanna have um, students, you want to get good grades? That's an uphill battle. You want to have unity in your marriage, unity in your home, unity in your church? That's an uphill, up, it's uphill. You've got to fight for it. It does not just come handed to you on a silver platter. It doesn't. You've got to fight for it. And if we're going to have unity, it's something that we, we've, got to fight, we've got to fight for. And in your notes, um, I've given us some ways that, that we can fight for it. Um, unity is, is achieved in the midst of diversity as we keep, first of all, the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. The color of the carpet, is it the main thing? Not really. It's not even close to being the main thing. Just news flash this morning. It's not. 
um, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib? Is that the main thing? Some of you are going, what the heck are you talking about, Rich? Uh, It's not the main thing. Um, We keep the main thing, the main thing. That's Jesus, and it's the gospel. It's the mission that he's given me and you to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the main thing. Now, do we talk about the other stuff? Yeah, we talk about it, but we don't make it the main thing. We, we keep the, the, the focus on where it needs to be. Unity is also achieved as we keep the arrows pointed out. The arrows are our focus. When we keep our focus on others instead of ourselves, you know, on those in our county who still need to hear the gospel, on a world that, that suffers from incredible poverty, you know, there's people on this planet who don't even have access to clean water, don't even have access to basic medication that could save their lives. When you keep your focus out there, keep your focus out there, it protects you from turning your focus inward. And when you turn your focus inward, you just begin to, to divide over the silliest things. But when you keep your focus on the bigger picture, then the petty stuff just doesn't matter so much. Next, unity is achieved as, as we keep love, acceptance, and forgiveness in the mix. We got to keep love, acceptance, and and forgiveness in the mix. We talked about earlier on in the series how uh, Jesus, he had these 12 disciples that were so different from one another, so different in every way. I mean, there was so much potential there for them just to fight and argue and just go their own way. But here's the 12 men that Jesus is going to entrust with the the greatest mission of all time, (laughs) go and, and, and take the gospel to the nations. So much potential there for division. But Jesus looks at these guys and he says, that he gives them this command, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Gotta keep love, acceptance, and forgiveness in the mix. We just got it. And then lastly, unity, unity is achieved in diversity as we keep on our knees in humility, considering others better than ourselves, praying, God, we can't do this on our own. Jesus, this kind of togetherness, th- th- this is only possible through the power of your Holy Spirit. We've got to keep on our knees in humility. We are a very diverse church, and we love it that way. We love it that way. In this church, you'll find Republicans, you'll find Democrats, you'll find um, different skin colors, you'll find different socioeconomic backgrounds, you'll find rich, you'll find poor, You'll find middle class, blue collar, white collar. You'll find a diversity in our struggles. Some will struggle with doubt. Some struggle with with this addiction. Some struggle with that addiction. Some struggle with loneliness. Some struggle with depression. We're very diverse in our struggles. There's so much potential for disunity that that with God's help, you've got to fight for it. You have to make the decision that you're going to do everything you can to be about unity and to be about uh, just fighting for it in the midst of all the diversity. And we live in a world, you know, as, as you know, this world is, is becoming, it seems, more hostile all the time. It seems like it's becoming more divided all the time. And, and we as a church are not called to swim downstream with culture. We're, we're called to swim this way. We're called to swim the opposite direction. Where things are becoming more divided, we're, we're called, Jesus calls us to be one. And not just a kind of oneness that's, that's shallow, but he says, 
be one as him and the Father are one. I mean, that, that is a, his prayer, he raises the standard really high when it comes to unity. And Jesus calls, he calls all of that, all of us to that. And there's, there's something that happens when the church is unified in the middle of a world that's becoming more and more divided all the time. Something really crazy, something really awesome happens, and that's this. Where there's unity in the midst of diversity, Jesus shines so brightly. He shines so brightly. We don't want unity. We don't want togetherness for the sake of unity and the sake of togetherness. We want it so that at the end of the day, the name of Jesus is lifted high. So that people look and they, they see the way that you and your small group interact together. They see that you and, and your church interact together. They, they may be coming here and they go, wow, this is diverse. And they go, okay, but these guys, they seem to love each other a lot. They seem to be together. They see the way that we interact out in the community. And they go, okay, there's something different here. God must be among them. That is the prayer. And Jesus prayed that, that when as a result of the unity that we have, that, that, that the world would see that his love is real and that, that, he, that he is God. And so my prayer for us is that we would be that kind of a church, that we be a church that takes this gospel that we have, this gospel that, that's a message of how God loves us so much that he gave his life for us, that we would take this unifying message, that we would live it out together as a church, that you would live it out in your homes, in your marriages, that we would live it out as a church in our community, and that the name of Jesus would, at the end of the day, be lifted up on high. Would you pray together with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes as we, we pray, we, we go to prayer, and we go, okay, God, what do you want us to pray? What, what is it that you would have us pray? But Jesus, this prayer, we know that the prayer for unity, the prayer, the prayer for oneness is the right thing to be praying because, Jesus, you prayed it. It's, it. it's your prayer that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And, Lord, I thank you so much for the unity that there is in this church. Lord, it's a unity, a togetherness that, that Lord, I have not experienced in, in, in all my years being a part of the church. And, God, I'm thankful for the uni unity that we have. But Jesus, I ask that you would take us even to a whole different level. Lord, may we be a church that loves one another deeply. May we be a church that is, is willing to discuss and just be open and real about our struggles and our challenges that we face. And as we do that, may, may unity come from that. May we be a church that loves one another through, through the diversity that there is. May we be a church that always appreciates that. Jesus, may we be a church that is, uh, just, just puts others ahead of ourselves. And, and Jesus, may we be a church that, that is just willing to fight for unity at all costs. Father, we need your help in that. We need your help in that. But Jesus, I pray that that would be real, that that would be a reality here in this church, and that Jesus, as a result of it, your name would be lifted up on high. And Father, I pray for anybody that's come in this morning that is struggling Lord, it, it might be something just completely unrelated to this message this morning, but God, they brought in some pain. Lord, they brought in some, um, just some brokenness. Maybe they've come in this morning and they're just, they're just on E. They're on empty. There's just no fuel in the tank. They're, they're just overburdened and overwhelmed. Father, I pray that you'd restore, that Jesus, you'd refresh this morning, work in their lives. And as your heads are bowed, 
eyes are closed this morning. I just want to ask if, if there's if there's anybody here, you're, you came here today and you don't, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never made, made that decision to, to follow him. But this morning, as you're here, you just hear him tugging at your heart. You hear him calling to you saying, hey, I'm the way, I'm the, I'm the truth that you've been looking for. I'm the life that you've been looking for. And you're here this morning, you're going, okay, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to turn from the life I've been living, and I want to turn to Jesus. If that's you, while every head is bowed, eyes closed, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to ask if you'd put your hand up, I want to pray for you. Anybody here, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I would love to pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this morning, as we, uh, as we head out from here, that, Lord, you'd go before us, that Jesus, um, that we would be one as you and the Father are one, and that, Jesus, we'd re be a reflection of your glory to the world around us. I pray all this in your good and awesome name, and everybody said...